Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room, and let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. Wear white shirts. No, so I think the first. Uh, <laughs> I've been wearing a lot more white shirts lately because it goes with a lot more of my shorts. Uh, and it's an easier decision to make. And I found this like, I, I'm kind of getting into the uh, material like the wicks away the sweat. And I found a shirt that I like. So I've been, I hit that one. I've been wearing it a lot more. Yeah, um, I actually have been on the white shirt train for a very long time. Uh, I've just, I buy like, uh, you know, like the packs of seven or eight or 10 or whatever Hanes. The, yeah. uh, and just, just on repeat uh, because there's no decision making. It's the same no. thing every day. It's terrific. I don't and I, I know you guys no. were like thinking about the capsule wardrobe or whatever, which is yeah. an idea. Yeah, the capsule wardrobe. And I don't know if we talked about this before, but the capsule wardrobe is like you pick a couple foundation pieces that you just have a lot of. So like a black T-shirt, a black uh, or like a blue collared shirt that has nothing, no logos or anything on it. And it's basically so you can like transition them. Uh, Eric and I, my wife, are trying to like reduce our the amount of shit we have. So we looked at our closet and we're like, I haven't worn this t-shirt in like four years or, you know, like, yes, this is a t-shirt that I, I feel like is important to me, but it looks terrible. I barely wear it. You know, like it's, it's just like, okay, I need to get over. I think some of my emotional attachment to these items, they just are things that you wear. So that's what the capsule wardrobe is. It's really helped me because I threw it. I mean, I brought a ton of the stuff to the Goodwill and it's like good stuff, but it just, I'm never wearing it. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, gives me a, a little bit of a easier morning, to be honest. And I found a couple shirts I really like. So it's just like, hey, I'm going to wear these things till I start getting holes in them. Then I'm just going to flip them. So that's been kind of the capsule wardrobe. That's a... The, that was not the intended takeaway message of the day, but I think that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. It's it's very. Uh, I'm curious. Where do you draw the line between nostalgic clothing? Like, what is what is your threshold for keep versus throw? Because oh. I I can go back and I can sports team X. You know this. Uh, high school is High school is out. <laughs> okay. I'm in. I'm at the end of college. You know, like the one thing that I. I have all these t-shirts from like the national championships at track, which have like a, a really good connotation. You know, I, we worked so hard for these things and you know, you could see, I actually have my, one of my trophies back there. You know, it's just like, it gives me a sense of accomplishment and I like that, but those are hard to throw away, but I threw one away because it was completely work. But I think everything else is just kind of out. And t-shirts that have like sayings on them, I've realized like, I don't want to walk around with that anymore. It's just (laughs) like, you better Belize it. (laughs) Yeah. Belize it or not. Which are funny t-shirts at the time, but when you wear it 50 times a year, it gets old. Oh gosh. I'm trying to think of another one. I get a lot. So I get some gifts of t-shirts that are really comfortable, but they have like dumb sayings. And so I, those have all. Those have all gone. Yep. 
Yeah. I, I can't recall exactly where my threshold is. I think I still have some high school stuff, but certainly not a lot. Um, anyway, uh, what was the actual takeaway going to be? Uh, probably less interesting, but it was to be, when you, when you read a book, I've been doing the audible or like listening to the book at the same time. And I, it has helped me concentrate more. And I think because it's coming in two different ways in through your eyes and in through your ears. And sometimes it helps to have the author's voice when you read for me, because I think the author, and I like reading the, with the, with the author's voice, because you get their, what they emphasis. really care about their emphasis, yeah. which I do think like you can find these tiny things of tonality. And when you're listening to a book, say it's like, say it's like uh, a book from like a Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett biography, you get the sense of what they think is important. So it also adds another layer of learning because when I read it, you know, it's like I got all my background and all my history, which sometimes drives me to read things certain ways. So I think it kind of opens me up to like what I'm just a little more open. That's kind of what I feel like. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So, and I think it, it increases comprehension big time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and we chatted briefly about the apps, just for those of you who don't know, um, LibriVox is a free app, which their apps actually really suck. I download the books off of LibriVox website and then play them on VLC media player because that's less buggy, <laughs> which is just a terrible a, listening it's a experience. Step. It's a lot of yeah. steps. Um, but I need to get into a subscription. And so I think Audible is Audible owned by Amazon. And is oh, yeah, it unlimited or one book a month? So you, you basically, it's $14, whatever, $14.95 a month. And you get one book that you basically get to purchase. And then you get 30% off. I think that's what the number is. And this is, you know, it changes 30% sure. off any book that you purchase. But you also have like a history of all the books you've ever ordered. It never goes away. So like. You can always listen to them on Audible. They never, like, if you cancel your subscription, it stays. Which for me, I found that to be really helpful because it's like, oh, I'm not done with my book, but oh, I want this one. So you just buy it and then you can, and you can like build up your credits. So, you know, it's like I found that to be helpful and interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I think Audible, I was, you know, kind of dinking around trying to find other ones and that's been... I think ease of use for me, but you know, there's other ones out there. So you were, um, since this is a young, young male podcast, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we can't go an episode without mentioning Joe Rogan or Jordan Peterson. So why don't we just dive <laughs> into your, uh, so your, first of all, I want to, I want to call out, a, I think a really smart decision, really good marketing that I've seen. And I, I take a lot of marketing or good sales messages that hit me that I really resonate with. And I, I have a swipe file basically, which is like pictures or anything. And I actually have an Apple notes thing, which I take a picture of it or whatever it is. And then I can kind of go to that for inspiration and see what works. So this one is called the, it's from the daily wire plus. And they like targeted me on YouTube because I was watching Jordan Peterson videos and they had a super engaging video 
on Jordan Peterson on this. So he's got this like four part series that they have only on this channel. So I went all the way through and bought it because it's like you know, a couple, I don't know what it was, 14, eight to 14 dollars a month, something like that. So then I started watching it and <clears throat> it's just Jordan waxing poetically in the best way possible. Um, and so we were talking earlier about this concept of always speaking the truth. And I think it's a good time to talk about it because, you know, there's been a lot of cancel culture. Sometimes it's hard, like as a, as being a, a white male, there's definitely a target on, you know, making sure that we're, you're, you're trying to say the right thing all of the time. And what he talks about is life is more of an adventure if you actually speak your truth and you will be, you know, it's a good way for you to change your mind. And so he always talks about, you should be continually speaking your truth. You know, don't lie to your kids. Don't lie to your wife, you know, just continue to say what you think and you're going to learn a lot more. Cause I think the fear and why a lot of people lie when he talks about this is because you don't know what the other person's going to say. And so I think there's like a big fear in telling the truth because that other person on the other side is, if you truly say what you believe, you know, it's like putting yourself out there, which is more difficult than just trying to say what you think they want to hear. And I think that's something, you know, and another way to think of it is like your boss in times of difficult decisions is going to want to hear the absolute truth, not make them feel better like they for them to be more more you know involved or have the information they really want to hear the truth rather than just what they want to hear and some people want to you know just hear what they want but i don't think those are truly people you want to surround yourself with yeah um fundamentally it's like are you trying to live a life that is reducing harm or like you know are you sort of seeking out the dragons so to speak and yeah. seeking out the opportunities to challenge yourself and um there is a lot of focus on avoiding harm and avoiding pain uh obviously it's a huge kind of self-improvement obsession for you know those people who are in that industry now but um it's uh and then obviously like everything there's a balance you know you can very much step over the line and how much can you handle and it's it's always something that i think about when um i look at responsibility um mm -hmm. responsibility is uh always essentially going to be like how much are you willing to put on your shoulders and accept for accept responsibility for it. When I look at people making extraordinarily significant decisions that have huge impacts on humanity, it's like, well, I've, you can see how responsibility grows over time. And typically life doesn't necessarily just like slap you with a bunch of responsibility when you haven't built up that war chest of experiences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you saw with uh, all of the um, startups that had overnight success is, you know, that responsibility and that reach came at a high learning curve initially. And there's a lot of, you know, scandal or just scandal or whatever. And 
I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but um, I always find that life is like constantly sort of pushing the amount of responsibility that you, you are capable of accepting. And as an entrepreneur, I always am like, well, the threshold, that's essentially your threshold of like what you're willing to risk just grows over time. And, 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 um, you know, some people will be able to go right out of the gate and make extraordinarily significant, you know, trades, so to speak with, um, a lot of money on the line and other people are not willing to make those big bets. And it's, it's, um, it's all about kind of comfort level and, and what are you, what are you willing to accept responsibility for? Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> well, I think you get, you get rewarded for the amount of responsibility you take on and successfully deliver in. And so you think of a business, it's like somebody gives you a lot of money, they're, they're putting a lot of trust in you to deliver a result for them, a responsibility, you know, for you to deliver a big chunk of value for them back. And for you, the way businesses are successful is they continually take in money and give back value. And I think that's just another way of looking at life. And I think when I've been looking at responsibility, you look at your <laughs> raising kids. Now that's a theme for our podcast, but now that we've got little ones, um, it's this notion of do you want to do you want to put bubble wrap around your your little one and send them downstairs and make sure the life at life doesn't hurt them or do you want to help them out the door and get them to go and kind of take on challenges and I think the struggle is the balance between keeping them safe but also aligning them with these responsive with these tools to go out and take on the world and I think. <clears throat> Culturally, I think we're we're definitely trending more towards the bubble wrapping, and I think that's difficult to to see. And yes, it's safer. And if you just look at COVID nineteen, I mean, talk about bubble wrapping and shoving everybody inside and get toilet paper for months and months and months <clears throat> instead of what is the true risk of this thing? You know, these are examples that we're setting culturally for our kids. And shutting down schools, you know, just like we're doing all of these things that is like totally, we can say that we're leaning away from bubble wrapping. But if you look at these examples, I think it's the wrong. It's that way. And to be thinking about raising a child, it doesn't matter if it's a boy or a girl. Uh, these are all things that, that, you know, I think I've been thinking about and what is the right, what are the right tools that they can come out with and, and how can I, I think, you know, exemplify them better in my life because I think that's where they learn the most is from just what what your parents do, what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. As we got jammed into our head when we were younger, actions speak louder than words, which is something I find myself just tinging in the back of my head all of the time, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a playground by our home and it's got a plaque on one of the park entrances and it says kids only and it's hilarious because it is not only kids there are always adults on the equipment hovering over their children and there's this one guy at the park and um he has one of the naughtiest little girls i've ever seen she is 
And the only reason she's naughty is because he is a bad parent. Like uh, the constant chatter, the narration, the he she's probably two or three and I know her name, it's Sonia, because he's yelling it the whole time. Sonia do this, Sonia do that, Sonia do this, Sonia do that. And it's literally the whole time she's on the park. And so she doesn't give a damn about what that dad says. She literally yeah. flies in the face of everything he says. She, If he says, don't go on something, she's just going to go on it. And it's constant. And his word is meaningless. And it's sad to watch. And it's like, dude, you are doing this to yourself and you're going to have a bang up of a teenager. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it just gets <clears throat> not that I have any personal experience in that, but you can see it in kids like at the park or in relatives. And you see these these behaviors of parents. And this is what I was talking about a couple like this last week with a friend of mine is it is amazing how influential as a parent you can be in a child's life. Like you truly can be influential. And another example to your point is we were talking, I was talking about this with a friend of mine is his, someone that's related to him. They were taking care of their kids at the park and he took sand and put it in his mouth and eat it. He was eating it. He's like a five-year-old kid. So obviously this is not good. And the dad was like, don't eat sand. And the kid took it and ate it again and the dad laughed and we were both like oh come on there's no way and so he just said you know and and what ends up happening is the friend of mine said i won't go to a public place like a restaurant with this family because it is a complete nightmare because there's no re you know repercussions for the parents Uh. words because of little things like this and i find myself having to stymie a laugh a lot because some of the kids, these some of the things your kids do is really quite hilarious when you think of what they're doing. You know, they're just like, they got these devious little smiles and you just like kind of appreciate that type of <clears throat> response to you of like, yeah, you know, like that you almost want some of that, like you, you don't want to stymie that as much as possible, but it's just this like balance that's really hard to, to take we are we are in the middle of that with a potted plant uh there is a pot, there is a potted plant sitting on a plant stand and um my son likes to go up and snag a little piece of the leaves because it sends my wife into a tizzy and she's like rex no and he literally just gets this big old devious grin on his face and he walks over and snags one and i'm like we have to figure out a different approach here. Either get rid of that plant or, or like we have to figure out a different like yeah. ramification approach here because saying no doesn't work. It does. They yeah. get, it's emotionally charging the thing that you're doing. And so yeah, giving uh, there's redirect. Yeah. There's redirecting. There's whatever else, but, um, that's something that really pisses my wife off that my son has figured out pisses my wife off and he wants to do it. <laughs> if like he gets bored and he's like, Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll go grab Let's his go get plant. The plant. <laughs> yeah. I know it's going to, I know it's going to get attention. I'm going to get attention for 
boom. I'm going to rip a piece of leave off and then I'll probably eat it because that'll really send her. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm really going to get attention. Then she's going to pick me up. Uh, yeah, it is. It is amazing to see these little brains run. Cool. And you know, when you, you, you can start out at like the little, the young age. And then if you think all the way to like autonomy and finding people, like giving people a way to be successful what I found that works best when I've been managing people is instead of micromanaging being like, Hey, this is the goal. You kind of go figure it out. You know, this yeah. is what we need to do. That's the most, and it like, it goes, that's the same way of managing. I'm not comparing people to toddlers, but I think that's a human trait is to not want to be told what to do and to like kind of have that journey on yourself. And we talked earlier, you said the, thing about slaying the dragons and the way that Jordan Peterson for reference number two talks about life is it's like you have a dragon and you have the gold on the other side and life is just taking on these dragons and then trying to get the gold and you just think of like challenges as literally trying to go after these dragons and that helps I think depersonalize it it's a little motivating because it's like yeah I want to achieve this goal whether it's you know, buy a bigger house or, you know, have 20 kids or whatever the thing is you're trying to achieve. But this is the, these are the dragons you have to overcome. I think it's a good way of looking at it. Uh, just yeah. kind of, I'm a visual person too. Can't tell I'm using my hands, but I think that's something that appeals, appeals to me a lot. Yeah. Uh, not wanting to do things that people tell you is, is a challenge in the work environment, especially when working with people who are having um, identity crises with their work. And um, yeah. I have a real big task in front of me to present information in a non-threatening way that people are inspired to do. And um, I've got a few things where I've been like, hey, I asked you for something and you just didn't do it. And I know that you don't work for me, but honestly, if you would have done it, it would have been a lot better for everybody. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of these instances that I'm calling up and I am getting extraordinarily exhausted with not with it, not happening and not having the, the explicit authority or whatever. So I have to use like influence and, um, it's uh, it's just really tiring because it's a new skill for me that um, yeah it's like you know if you would have just listened to me and done what I asked you initially like we would not be in this situation but now here we are six months later not doing shit <laughs> um, yeah. I, oh man it makes my blood boil a bit but um, I got to figure out a different approach because they're not going to change I know that so um, well that's a big a big thing to learn that I found and leading people is figuring out how to motivate all these different personalities and how do you use persuasion, storytelling, you know, all of these nuances in communication to get people to do what you want them to do is really complicated. You know, like how do you make it somebody's idea? You know, there's just a lot of things to learn. You know, how do you tell them you know, how do you get them to see that they'll be successful if they do this? It's just, there's so many things. To, it's just a skill set that I think good leaders know how to do that 
fairly well. They've probably, you know, it's like just comes with experience. That's the only thing. It's like you, you can't really read this in a business book. It kind of, oh, yeah, it makes sense. But just doing it is the best way, I think, to gain skill and mastery in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then with that accomplishment, because comes increased responsibility. And yeah. my thought this morning was we just have the wrong people on the account and making yeah. a plea for like different skill sets because, uh, and I'm trying to go back and forth with like, and I, I bet it's a combination. I bet it's, we need some of that and we need me to, you know, change some of my approach. Oh yeah. So we'll yeah. See. I think that's what I, I think we, I said this, I've said this on a number of podcasts, but I think when you develop, when you change personally yourself, life just changes. Like if you kind of update, basically update your software in your mind, I think I've noticed a big change. It's like a, a big shift in your, the direction you could go in life. You know, it's like things that I've, kind of breakthroughs you see these kind of massive shifts and then all of a sudden something turns and turns and i think it's like that accepting responsibility thing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um and responsibility um today uh there's there's a lot going on in the news we're talking about speaking our truth speaking the truth is not something that i think is really common. And unfortunately, the, there's a hot button issue around women's reproductive rights right now uh, with the uh, overturning of the Roe v. Wade decision. And um, I've been talking about this fairly extensively with my spouse and my friends or sometime, not extensively, but we've talked about it a little bit. And um, I don't think that the Republican obsession with pro-choice is really about, or excuse me, pro-life is about protecting life. That that's a, that's a shell game. I think it's more about class warfare and about keeping people in fighting and controlling the population and introducing more crime. Um, I saw a statistic that was uh, uh, like, there was a precipitous drop in crime. I believe it was something like 30%. And the reason because of it was the introduction of contraceptive methods uh, mm. and um, or long-term contraceptives, I believe. And so um, having an unwanted child in an unstable house, obviously there's a huge chance that that child will turn to, you know, crime or other other ways to make money or get attention or whatever it is. And so I think that it's more about increasing the difficulty of movement between classes uh, than it is more about like actual women's reproductive rights. And it makes me really quite frustrated that the liberal media is also on board with fighting the right wing media on this plane of non-truth, this plane of um, speculative inflation, sort of inflationary conjecture. Like, I don't, I don't see the New York Times talking about 
this issue as being about class warfare, which I think it's more about is like um, taxpayers, that sort of thing. They're just coming at it about like infringing on women's reproductive rights, which um, it just is. Well, it fires up their base, you know, like it, it speaks to the emotional points rather than goes at, like you said, goes at the true nature of the issue, which might be where the fight is in one ones, like in the Republicans mind, but I think the Democrats have a different, so they're both kind of going at it differently. Yeah. And it's a gentleman's agreement to not talk about the real issues at play. And it's unfortunate because I think a lot of people get caught up in the crossfire. So I always just try and reassure people that like, you know, this is not actually what it's about. And we need to be more intelligent around the filtering that we do of, of the media. And I've often said that, um, would you rather do business with somebody who's going to try and screw you over? Or would you rather do business with somebody who says they're not going to try and screw you over, but you know is going to? Yeah. I I would rather be in business with somebody who just is upfront about it personally, yeah. because that at least I know I'm in the room with a snake and mm-hmm. you kind of always have to just assume that's the case. I feel like, um, in, in the world, for sure. Definitely. In the world, in the world, I think there's this framework I've been thinking about more is everybody is truly only in it for themselves Correct. Like down to it. Correct. There's That's always a, a reason for an action in their mind that they are selfishly going for, which is not to say that we're all selfish, terrible people. Um, I think you just like, that's kind of like a truth that you just need to accept is that everybody's doing something for themselves. And I think if you're more on the agreeable side, so that, you know, I think the scale that I've heard is you got agreeableness and then like conscientiousness or like disagreeableness. If you're on the more agreeable side, it's really hard to understand people on the disagreeable side who are just like, they're just doing what they, they think. They're just kind of going and they're not thinking about other people in the sense that they think like, hey, this is what I should be doing. Where people that are on the like agreeable side who are like, everybody is thinking about this and we should all, it's like, that's not how everybody thinks. And I think that's a, you know, when it gets down to it, we're all just trying to survive, (laughs) protect our family, protect ourselves, make sure we eat, you know, and like, that's a, I think I've had to shift my mindset a little bit to think more like that. And it's not, I don't think this is a negative way to look at the world at all. I don't, I don't see that as being negative. Yeah. I like the reframing there. And, uh, that is what it is. Like it's, it's people act in their own self-interest. And one thing that I, I don't catch very often, but I certainly notice as we were talking about it as like, you can understand if somebody's trying to influence you, if they tell you what to think, like you should do this or that, or you will need this or that. Um, and that's always something that I think people get put on the back foot, which is why you're talking about storytelling and other ways of persuasion, which are, you know, more abstract instead of when people hear you, the phrase you, it just is, um, I think it sets up a potentially mistrustful 
relationship. And so, um, you know, you'll find that I doubt that the greatest kind of persuasion and influencers are, are telling you how to think They're you know, and it's always sort of the Simon Sinek, you, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they buy why you do it, because um, that is something that they make the decision about themselves subscribing to that idea, because they want to say that about themselves. Yep. Instead of you need this widget, because it'll make your life better, right? Mm hmm. I, one of the things that so that the concept of social proof is really, really popular, I think, on the persuasion side. So basically saying there, there's a study that I was just reading about where they had like littering signs in state parks. And so they said that, like, there's two different approaches. There's the first approach, which they actually had the sign up, which is. If you litter, you're a bad people. People steal this many tons of wood per year. That's really bad. And the other sign said, 99% of people that come here don't steal wood. Don't be the 1%. And so what it talks about in the two different senses, the first one is almost giving you the idea that lots of people are stealing wood, so your contribution doesn't matter. <laughs> and so they were saying that like the, the amount of wood stolen went down by like per, like 100x like it was just a huge number based on the two signs mm -hmm. because there is this idea of like you still get to make your own decision like you're not telling people what to do but you're giving everybody the information of like there's tons of wood stolen or most people don't steal wood like it's just choosing the argument and i think the two different sides of that if you you can start to pay attention to more of this persuasion in daily life by looking at ads and, and like those things to me are really insightful on how do you, you know, change behavior or help instill things. And if you're doing something for, you know, for a good reason on why do you want to help people? I think those are, I, that's something that I pay attention to a lot. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what else we got for the day? I mean, we can kind of circle back to the, the class warfare. And I think the frustrating thing for you and I, or at least just for, for me is I don't really like being talked to like I'm stupid or like, I don't really like when they, when other people try to make decisions for you and like, Oh, this is, we're better, we're smarter than you. You should like the whole masking thing of like, Oh, you should, everybody should wear masks, but they don't give you the actual evidence on why, you know, like that to me is really frustrating. And I think, I don't think that's a long-term strategy that'll work. And I think when you think about the government or like positions, people in power, they want to continue to be in those positions of power. So I think they're kind of using ancient ancient ways of staying in power, which is getting two sides to fight against each other so they don't point the you. Yeah. point the you know point the message at, back at you. So well in the vein and um in that vein, what do you think the narrative the the ultimate narrative is around gun control? Because there's the, you know, freedom thing. There's the, 
right to protect yourself against the government, which I was sort of chuckling about the other day because um, I heard a statement that the United States spends like something like $800 billion a year on equipment. So if you think your, 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 your AR-15 is going to matter against a drone strike, like that's ridiculous. But I don't, so I don't know what, um, what the under, I have a hypothesis, what the underlying narrative is that prevents gun control from coming through. But I'm curious if you have an idea of what that might be given it's such a hot button issue right now too. You know, I, I struggle to separate guns and money. That's my thing is I think it's such a yeah. industry of, uh, you know, it's just such a powerful industry and it's such a thing that like, you know, these guns are crazy expensive and, you know, it's like people that love guns are like, they spend mo thousands of dollars on guns to the point where it's like even hard to comprehend how much people spend. And so I think that's the difficult thing is if you pull that away, you're just kind of taking a huge revenue stream. And that's, that's the only thing I can come up with. I don't think it's a social issue. I think it's again, a monetary issue. I agree. That was, I, I think it's just the military industrial complex has a remarkably strong lobby in the United States. And so that's what people are listening to. And I don't think that there's been enough. Um, I don't think that there's been enough uh, support by voters to signal to politicians that they need something done. Um, no. So the gun lobby is writing bigger checks than the voters are willing to go to the polls for at this point. And so obviously the politicians are not changing. And so we'll see if um, these tragedies continue and, and the, the, the aligning oneself with that gun lobby becomes a detriment because when it does, um, people will flock away from it to the, you know, crusaders for personal safety. You better believe those, the tunes of uh, that politicians are singing will change rather quickly if, if the electorate is willing to vote them out um, mm -hmm. for it. And I just don't think that in this country we're at that point of like tidal wave of we're getting pretty freaking close. So I know that there was a new gun bill introduced. I'm not super familiar with what it is, but um, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a complicated and nuanced topic. And I think all of these things, it's really hard to generalize everything, you know, and say like, oh, people are, you know, like, I think the simplification definitely, I'd say complicates the issue more because each thing has to be more specific. And um, that's, I think with these issues of like, let's just say gun control, it's, it's really a, I think the solution has to be more complex than just like no guns or guns, you know, it's like that is really not going to satisfy. And like, it's, and it's, it's kind of like a, they're both zero sum games. So it has to be in the middle somewhere. But that's once again, so far by design in terms of yeah. we want to create this infighting. We want to create this conflict. Um, and it's, it's just something that I, I think as an educated consumer, we can always be more informed about not getting emotionally charged up because these emotionally charged up things are, are just going to be used against you. 
they're just uh, you see it every day in the media. And um, I just hope that we could see that would be like a remarkable common core class, like how to not get spun up by American media, you know, but no, you don't see that type of education. You got people, you know, memorizing the capitals of the world. <laughs> well, you know what we could do? We could start an online course and start marketing that. How to be less influenced uh, by the media. We could, uh, or just listen to the Rumpus Room podcast. That's about it. So I think that's step one. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and most podcasts come out with like, all right, now you got a podcast. Now we're going to start charging you for a course sure. that we're, you know. But I, I, I do think it's interesting to dive into these topics because you start learning, you know, the more we go into it, I think on the podcast, the, the more I'm learning about truly how people think, how they behave. And Charlie Munger always goes, this quote I have said quite a bit is, show me incentive and I'll show you what ends up happening. I think that's what he, that's not the exact quote, but. Something to that tune of people do what the money is. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day. And especially in areas of like work, because you show up and your goal for work is to make money. No, truly like your goal is to, that's why you show up every day. You don't like there's meaning in all of these other things, but at the base level, you want to go back to. So at the end of the day, all of the things you say about having passion and all of this stuff, it doesn't, it does it like, it doesn't connect. And that's what I think, you know, okay, we can, well, now we hit healthcare. So this is the last one, but healthcare <clears throat> people go to work and health, like that's their job. And so you, it's really hard to say like, Oh, everybody's doing this for the benefit of, the community because that's like what they their profession is that's how they make money so i am seeing a lot of incentive outcome incentive outcome and the quote is show me an incentive and i'll show you an outcome and i think that's where again i think people are good at kind of pulling the wool over everyone and saying like oh we're doing this for great reasons you know all of these mission statements on all of these nonprofit websites that are big hospitals and then you see behavior another way and you're like oh boy so that's that's my two cents on that one yeah i have re and i have uh re-energized vigor for my monday morning pursuits uh so we'll see we'll see how far into the week those that lasts (laughs) um but uh that's all we got for you today folks tune in next week and we'll be back kicking it here in the rumpus room